My wife and I have spent the last week uh, house-slash-dog-sitting at our son's in Texas. Um, it's a something-doodle. I don't know what kind of dog, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and it has been hot. It always seems to be a few degrees hotter here than three hours north in Oklahoma. But one consolation is they have a really nice, big, in-ground swimming pool, which we have taken advantage of. And our one grandson has been here with us for this week. So he's gotten to see Texas, a little bit of it here and there. Uh, but we've mostly been just kind of chilling out. Um, our oldest grandson uh, from Oklahoma came the last few days to, to spend with us. And, you know, I know the Bible says nothing about retiring. Uh, most worked until they died. Uh, maybe that is why I have the feeling that the Lord has been putting something new on my heart. Uh, nothing to report at this time, but I will see how things come together, if they come together. Uh, but it will be as the Lord guides and directs. But I believe God always has something for us to be doing in the kingdom. Uh, I'm not capable of doing the things that I could do 30, 40 years ago. So God doesn't expect that of me. But he knows there's more to do. Now, every believer can pray. Okay, don't compare your prayers to somebody else's. That's why a lot of people don't want to pray in public uh, or even just with one other person. So, you know, we can't be doing that because God loves to hear from all of his children. And it doesn't matter how long or how short or, you know, if we quote scripture in our prayers or anything else. He just likes to hear from his children, just like. You know, as a parent, I like to hear from my children. Now, most people are able to, to read and study God's Word, and we're all called to share the gospel message. Now, we're not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to evangelize. So what is expected of us kind of depends on our circumstances. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for your word, how you use it to guide us and direct us, to teach us. You use the Holy Spirit to um, open your word up to us. <coughs> Excuse me. And to remind us of the things that we have learned in the past. So, Father, I just praise you for that. And so, Lord, just be with us as we uh, listen to the message that you have for us today. And, Father, help us to um, move on what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a new favorite worship song. It's by Elevation Worship. Now, I think it's been out there for a little while, but I just heard it the first time a couple months ago, and it seems like I'm hearing it frequently on the radio, which is great. So let me share the words with you. It says, I've never been more loved than I am right now wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. 
I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Going through a storm, but I won't go down. I hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to call me out. You would cross an ocean so I wouldn't drown. You've never been closer than you are right now. You are Jaira. You are enough. Jaira, you are enough. And I will be content in every circumstance. You are Jaira. You are enough. Forever enough. Always enough. More than enough. Forever enough. Always enough. More than enough. I don't want to forget how I feel right now on the mountaintop. I can see so clear what it's all about. So stay by my side when the sun goes down. I don't want to forget how I feel right now. Jaira is the name of the song. Jaira we first hear of in Genesis 22. When Abraham has taken his son Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him as the Lord told him to. And just when that was about ready to happen, Isaac said, you know, hey, Dad, um, you know, we got everything here except the sacrifice, not knowing that he was supposed to be it. <coughs> and Abraham says, don't worry, son, God will provide because he's Jehovah Jireh, the provider. So that one line really stuck out to me. I will be content in every circumstance. I don't know about you, but I really can't say that. I don't care at all for some of the circumstances I've found myself in. Dealing with sickness and death. <laughs> no thanks. You know, having our kids change schools, you know, they, they thought that I really didn't care at the time. You know, I mean, my wife and I, we went to different schools, and I was older than her, but I still am. Um, but we both went from kindergarten through 12th grade, not just in the same school system, in the same building, okay, for those 13 years. So moving, you know, is another circumstance we find ourselves in frequently, unfortunately. But my wife thinks I have no problem with this. But she's wrong, you know, because everything is new. I don't change my mind. But, you know, I, I just, I kind of gotten into the, a rut or whatever, a routine, and more and more so as I age. You know, I'm, I'm glad we are where we are now and involved in the church that we're involved in and doing the things that we're doing and having, you know, grandkids right nearby. So those circumstances I like. But I want to look at some of the circumstances in the Bible, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I'll start with some people who really were not ready for their circumstances. The first ones that come to mind, Moses and the Israelites, as they were in the Exodus. Now, they thought that they had like, you know, a two-week journey, you know, 300 and some miles maybe. But 
because of their circumstances, it was a 40-year journey, and it was many thousands of miles. Now, all of that depends on which commentary is your source. Of the 40 years, we know, and the distance that was traveled varies. But during the, the journey, Moses faced a lot of negative circumstances. I mean, like daily, it seems like. <coughs> because the Israelites, you know, they'd be satisfied for a while. And then they'd say, oh, oh, Moses, why did you bring us out here in this desert to die? You know, or Moses, you know, we had all the food that we wanted. You know, we had fresh vegetables and we had meat and we had everything and water to drink. And, you know, and Moses, you know, was facing those circumstances every day. But the Lord got him through it in the Lord's time. Well, then there's our boy, Samson. Okay, most of his negative circumstances were brought on by himself because he never seemed to be satisfied. You know, he was being raised to, you know, be there for the Lord and represent the Lord. Well, you know, that wasn't good enough for him. You know, he wanted a wife. He didn't want an Israelite wife. No way. You know, he... He wanted somebody else that God said, no, but that's what he wanted. And then, of course, there's the, the Delilah caper, you know, which we know well. So in the end, he was in the best circumstances to finally redeem himself, to make amends for the mess that he had made of his life over the years. Well, and of course, we can't forget David, good old King David. I mean, he had the best of everything. He had money upon money upon money. He was powerful. He had land. He had a great life. And then everything just kind of changed. And his circumstances changed big time. Number one... In the spring, they say it's time to go to war. And David said, eh, you know, I'm really confident you guys can do this without me. I'm just going to stay here. Bad decision. Number two, well, he shouldn't have been looking for love in the wrong places. You know, out just kind of strolling. You know, maybe he wasn't looking for anything in particular, but there she was. Good old Bathsheba, taking a bath. And, well, he just couldn't keep his eyes and then his hands off of her. And then he shouldn't have used his position as king to take advantage of her. Because if the king says, come here, you come. king says, do this, you do it. And she did. Well, the next thing is he should have owned up to the circumstances that he created Okay, you know, one of his warrior's wives is now pregnant with his child. And then he shouldn't have used Joab to commit murder for him. And you can call it anything you want, but that's what it was. He put a contract out on Bathsheba's husband, and that was the end of him. So through all of this, 
David found himself in very deeply in very bad circumstances. Uh, and God called him out because of all the wrong that he had done. God used the prophet Nathan to get David's head on straight again so he could see what he had done was wrong and that he needed to be changing. Well, if we go back into Genesis and into chapter 29, we find Jacob. He's looking for a wife. Okay, and so he had his eyes and his heart set on this young girl, Rachel. And so he got together with her dad, Laban, and Laban said, sure, you know, it worked for me for seven years and she's all yours. So Jacob seemed to think that was fair. And so he works for seven years and then he goes to Laban and said, okay, it's been seven years, give me my wife. And so they have the big wedding feast and all, and the wedding night, Jacob goes in and goes to bed, gets in, up in the morning, and who's there? Not Rachel. It's her older sister, Leah. Ah, because it tells us in verses 25 to 27, when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Laban says, It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn. But wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too. Provided you promise to work another seven years for me. Okay? Now, it seems to me that, you know, Jacob would have known this firstborn daughter thing, you know, sometime over the seven years that somebody somewhere would have mentioned it. But he was in a difficult circumstance. And there only seemed to be one alternative. If he still wanted Rachel, he needed to, you know, work another seven years. So instead of working seven years for the woman he wanted, he ended up working 14 years. And she must have been something, okay? So I know if it was me, if I was Jacob, okay, I'd have grabbed Rachel. I'd taken off into the sunset. And you never would have seen me or her again. But I guess Jacob was a much better man than myself. So throughout the Old Testament, we see many kings finding their circumstances unpleasant. Most of them were kings doing what they knew was wrong, going against what God expected of them. They wanted more. They wanted more money. They wanted more power. They wanted more slaves. They wanted a bigger kingdom. And so they were trying to get it any means that they could. So we see the Israelites bringing bad circumstances on themselves over and over and over. They'd be following God for a while. Everything was good. Well, then they'd get tired of following God and they'd start worshiping the idols of the people around them. And all was now bad. And they could never figure it out on their own. 
you know, it took some profit to come along and say, hey, guys, straighten up. You know why you're having all these problems? Duh, look at the idols that you're worshiping. You're supposed to be worshiping the Lord. You're supposed to be, you know, bringing your tithes and offerings to the Lord. And here you're going out and making idols out of wood and gold and silver and who knows what else. You know, you got to get yourself straight if you want to get out of the circumstances that you've put yourself in. Well, we do find people in the Bible that are able to deal with their circumstances wisely. Joseph, okay, his brothers cast him into a well and he was in dire circumstances. He was sold as a slave, but he makes the best of it. And the leading official becomes the leading official for Potiphar. Well, that's until Potiphar's wife changes things. So now the circumstances are pretty bad. Again, finds himself in prison. Okay, and Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream and gets a dream job. He's number two in the kingdom. Jovis, jo, excuse me, Joseph had every reason to give into his deplorable circumstances. But with God's help, he made the best of things, which put him in a position to save his family and the rest of the kingdom. Well, Daniel's another one who was thrown into some very difficult circumstances. He was taken to Babylon as a slave along with thousands of others, but he was chosen to audition for a better role. Daniel, like Joseph, was faithful to the Lord, and because of this, his circumstances changed, and he was put into a leading position in Babylon. Now, if we jump into the New Testament, we have to first recognize the dramatic change in the circumstances of the 12 chosen by Jesus. There were fishermen, at least four, that just simply laid down their nets to follow the Messiah. Okay, big change in your circumstances. We're told that Peter had a mother-in-law, which means he must have had a wife, and never any children talked about, but he left that all behind. Matthew gave up a lucrative, though hated, position as a tax collector. Big, big change in your circumstances. Each one had no idea of what their life would be like, how their circumstances would change immensely. And then again, after the resurrection, they were in a whole new set of circumstances, loved by some, hated by many, lives continually threatened. They could not have it said, or excuse me, they, they could have said, man, this is not what we signed up for, is it? Well, they didn't know what they signed up for, but they got the best. Now, Saul, Saul knew that he was doing just exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. Okay? He knew that the Lord wanted him to go out and be arresting those Christians, those new believers, those people that you know, said this Jesus guy was a Messiah. 
And so he was going out and he was throwing them in prison. And many, many of them lost their lives until his circumstances changed big time. Saul was on his way to Damascus and Jesus stopped him in his tracks and changed his life, changed his name. Saul's life changed in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 3. Saul's name was changed in Acts 13, verse 9. It says that they called him Paul, you know, which is also kind of like Saul. So no one had their circumstances changed like Saul before or after that that we're told about. Going from 100% anti-Christian to 100% preaching the good news and risking your life time and time again to be able to do that. Saul went from being a friend of the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders to being their enemy. They wanted him dead, and they tried often to accomplish that. Well, Paul gave us some great advice in his first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. The NIV tells us, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay, now, let me give it to you in the message. It says, be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Okay, no matter what happens, in all circumstances, what are we told to do? Be joyful and be thankful all the time. Not just when the circumstances are things that you like. Not just when things that seem to be happening are good things, but all the time. No matter what happens, all the circumstances. You know, sometimes circumstances are changed by us. You get a new job. It can change your life and your family's life. Uh, a relationship. You start a new one or and an old one. Maybe you decide it's time to, to pack up and move to a new place. Or you, you change schools. And sometimes circumstances are changed by others, and we have no control. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, that goes back to a job. Okay? That... You know, you were working maybe for a couple of years, maybe for several years, and all of a sudden your job moves out of town and you don't want to move out of town. Or it downsizes and, you know, you're low enough in the seniority that, you know, you're gone. Or they just close altogether. Or maybe a relationship ends that you didn't really want to end. You know, that your, your spouse of however many years decides to, to move on, or your spouse passes away, okay? Big changes in our circumstances, okay? You know, when we're younger, we're at the demands of our parents, you know, where your parents, one or both, get new jobs, and it's time to, to move someplace else, okay? You change schools, you leave friends behind, Okay, whether we like it or not, 
you have to deal with the new circumstances. But we have a choice, okay? We can go into those new circumstances kicking and screaming. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do this. I don't like this place. I don't like nothing. Or we can go into it and say, you know, this isn't my first choice. You know, I would have rather stayed where I was. But I'm here, whether I like it or not. And so, you know, I got to just make the best of it. Now, I worked as a corrections officer for 10 years. And I saw the same people coming in for the same crimes over and over. And they kept coming back because they would not change their circumstances. Okay? When they were in jail, they'd say, ha, man, I've had enough of this. You know, no more, you know, breaking into houses or no more stealing cars or selling drugs or whatever it is. You know, I'm going to get out and I'm going to be straight, you know. But they'd get out. They'd go back into the same circumstances, same friends, same family, quite often, and they'd be back into the same jail. Okay, the song that I opened with said, and I will be content in every circumstance. That's a difficult thing to, thing to say. The word content means to be just that. Okay, archaeo is the Greek word, and it also means it's sufficient, or it's enough. Now, in Luke 3, many different people were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. In verses 10 through 13, we read that the crowd asked, what should we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, you give one to the poor. If you have food, you share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what, what should we do? And John replied, You collect no more taxes than what the government requires. Well, then there was a third group that came to John in verse 14. What should we do? asked some soldiers. John replied, Do not extort money or make false, false accusations and be content with your pay. I don't know what they got paid. Probably not a whole lot. Okay. I went in the U.S. Army, <coughs> excuse me, in August 1967. I got paid for the first probably four months, $90 a month in cash. We would go into a room the sergeant there would look and see who you were, how much you're supposed to get, and he'd give you the cash. You go down the line, you know, maybe you've got to pay for something on some insurance or whatever. But at the end of the line was the drill sergeant, and he was expecting you to donate to a cause of some kind. Was I content with my pay? <laughs> I didn't have any choice. Okay, that was what I signed up for. But at the same time, I really didn't have anywhere to spend it. Now, Paul has some great words for Timothy and us in 1 Timothy 6, 6-8. NIV says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, 
we will be content with that. To many, that's a true statement. Others, it would be like, if I'm able to eat at the best restaurants and wear designer clothes, I would be content with that. No, that's not what Paul had in mind for Timothy or you or me. Why is Paul telling us that we're to be content with what we have? Verses 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, in a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul is concerned that discontent will lead to some leaving faith. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think that's a big problem today, at least as big. We've seen church leaders that have been overcome with temptation and started taking monies that were not theirs. I know two church treasurers that took thousands from the churches that they were serving. I heard of a, a young pastor, young family, a couple of kids. He was dying of cancer. Okay, the, the whole church was behind him and, you know, supportive. Well, they found out shortly after he died that he'd cashed in thousands of dollars of the, the church's money. I don't know where it went, what had happened to it. But the temptation had been too great for him. Maybe he thought, I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to be dying soon. Not my problem. <coughs> Wrong. Remember in that song, Jaira, God will be more than enough. Okay? And that's what he is. He's always more than enough. God promises to meet our needs, and that promise still stands, no matter what our circumstances are. We need to learn to trust him. He doesn't make promises that he's not going to keep. He doesn't lie. God, God's our only hope. And we need to, to realize that and realize that he is indeed more than enough for what we need. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for those that know you and love you and serve you. Father, help them to serve you more faithfully and to serve you with the, the joy that we need to have because you are Jehovah Jireh. You are more than enough. And that's in every circumstance. Okay, When we're on the mountaintop or down in the valley, you are always more than enough. So, Father, help us to remember that. But, Lord, I lift up those that may be listening that, that don't know you, that haven't made a commitment to you. The Lord, help them know that today's the day they need to make that commitment. <coughs> that now is the time that they need to turn their lives over to you because you will be there for them. No matter how great their circumstances are right now or no matter how deep and bad their circumstances seem to be right now, that you'll be there with them and that you'll help them get through. doesn't mean you're going to pull them out and set them up in a high place, 
It means it to be with them as they go through those circumstances. So, Father, I just pray that they'll, they'll come to you and they'll acknowledge who you are. And they'll pray a prayer maybe like this. Dear Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. The only Savior there is is your Son, Jesus. I thank you he died for my sins. I thank you he's alive and is coming again. Lord, forgive me for my sin and let your son be my savior. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.